When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode 62, The Give and Get. Hey Chainers, and welcome to another edition of Chain of Wealth. I'm your host, Dennis O'Brien. And I'm Katie Walsh. So Katie, today we're chatting to another neighbor of ours. I know, all these people live like right here in our neighborhood. So cool. I must say, the DC personal finance blogger slash podcaster community is amazing. Like... There's so many like-minded people here that are awesomely thinking about money and they want to achieve great things. Yeah, I was actually talking to Andrew from Shift Upwards um, that we had on the a few weeks ago yeah and we were talking about getting a whole bunch of people together so we have that to look forward to. That'll be really fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So Lisa's story. I loved her. <laughs> she, I thought, was just really entertaining. I completely, I feel like she talked about a lot of things that nobody else is talking about. I couldn't have said it better myself. And yeah. I really appreciate that about her because so many people are always wanting to be like politically correct and not step on anybody's toes and not really voice their real opinion. And she does. And I really respect that about her. Yeah, I think it's very easy to just go along with the flow and, you know, sort of conform to social norms and, you know, everything else. And look, there's a time and a place to do that as well. But also having your own opinion, I think, is what distinguishes you from everyone else out there. Well, and I think it's how you portray your opinion. And Lisa does a really good job at portraying hers appropriately. Yeah, she definitely does. So are you ready to talk to her? Yeah, let's dive right into our interview. Welcome to Chain of Wealth. Here's your host, Dennis, inspiring you to begin your journey of financial freedom. Hey, Chainers, and welcome to another edition of Chain of Wealth. Today, we have Lisa with us. Lisa is a lawyer living in D.C., she is the author of the blog, The Give and Get. It is here that she talks about everything from personal finance to food and relationships. Welcome, hey, Lisa. Hey, Lisa. Hi. Great to be here. Yeah. So you live actually like right down the street from us. Did you go to any of the cherry blossom things that have finally happened? You know, I am an avid biker, so there's no season worse for bikers in this area than cherry blossom season because there's so many tourists and they just won't get out of your way. So um, um, just quick question. When you say biker, like cyclist or 
Yes. No, I'm not in motorcycle. <laughs> okay, just checking. <laughs> Good point. Um, but yes, I I see them every day because I bike to work and I pass the tidal basin. So it's always beautiful. But then, and it's so wonderful to bike when it's warm out. And just when you think, oh, it's so lovely. And then there are just so many people everywhere because it's so beautiful. This is peak weekend um, for it. And my sister is running the Cherry Blossom 10 miler tomorrow. That's yeah. very cool. I have been like anticipating the snow. My brother flies in tomorrow from Florida. And I was like, it might be 90 degrees where you are, but you better bring a jacket because it's cold still. Awesome. So where did the idea from your blog come from? So I guess I am a lawyer, so I write a lot. And I found myself recently single and I've been reading personal finance blogs for forever. And I have an interesting debt payoff story that I thought would be interesting. I should write it down. And so I I made a blog maybe two years ago and I just wrote some of these things down, but I never publicized it and never did anything with it. And I think after, after my breakup, um, I just started reading a ton of books. And then when you start reading a lot, eventually you, you want to write something. You want to synthesize the information in a way that makes sense. And my blog became more of an outlet for that. And it's just a place I don't have a specific focus necessarily. Um, I've always been, I think, preternaturally good at saving money. My parents are immigrants and I make a really high salary. So it's super easy for me. And I would read these blogs and I thought maybe I could give someone tips on this, but maybe not. Maybe it's just the kind of thing that if you're, if you're good at it, you're you're not necessarily good at teaching it, (laughs) but it's more about sharing ideas. And I found an amazingly supportive community, especially in this, in this DC area. It's, it's really surprising. Yeah, it is really nice because there's so many bloggers um, in the area that I was actually really shocked when we started networking, how many people are like, oh, I have a blog too. And, you know, it's something that people seem like they don't really talk about. Yeah. And I think it, it seems, well, privacy and having secrets is such a DC thing anyway. So that kind of makes sense. (laughs) It definitely does make sense. Yeah. And then you want to, you want to create the, you want to build your following and you want to write about stuff and, and have people influence you. So in that way, it, it does make a lot of sense that people in this area do that. Also, it's incredibly expensive. Um, I grew up here and I still didn't realize um, how expensive it was when I graduated law school. I had projected doubling my expenses instead of quadrupling my expenses. Right. And it's, it's been a little bit of a learning curve. Yeah, right. it definitely is an expensive area. I remember when I first came to the DC area, I was basically fresh off the boat from South Africa. Well, and, and you had been living in Tampa, like in the best area for free. Right. So I came to the US as a contractor and basically everything was paid for. So when I had to start paying rent in the DC area, I almost had heart failure. <laughs> the panic that he had. And also like that, I was obviously in a, in a, an apartment complex and you have to sign this like long lease because no one's going to give you a month to month. Um, and just knowing that if I broke the lease, I would be liable for so much money. It, it was frightful. Yeah, it's the lawyers write that language to frighten you. So I can understand. 
that would also be something interesting that I, I want to talk about at some point, um, maybe on my blog. It's what I've learned from being a lawyer is that so much of the practice of law really has nothing to do with the law. It's a lot of intimidation and it's a lot of fear. So when people ask me about things, I think, oh, well, you should just talk it out with them and see what happens most of the time. Because most, because I know so many people who will get a bill and they'll be so panicked, they'll just pay it immediately. They don't ask, is this bill correct? Who is this person? Do you actually owe money? Um, can you negotiate a lower rate? They just are so afraid. And I think that what, obviously lawyers are very important people and everyone needs a lawyer. Um, but a lot of, a lot of these little things, it's about taking control of the situation. Yeah. So, and then you also talked earlier that you talk about all kinds of different topics and everything on your blog. Do you have a favorite I do love talking about being, um, I guess, achieving financial independence as a single person. I've read a lot of these other personal finance blogs, and it's a little bit strange how people write as if they are single. And then they mention, oh, they have a spouse who also earns money. And I think, well, that's a little bit, I'm not going to say misleading, but that's, it's a different picture if you have more money coming in and, you know, another person, that's a very different situation than if you're doing this by yourself and splitting rental costs with another person is, it's going to be a very different situation than paying these exorbitant rental prices by yourself. Um, so I think part of what I wanted to see in personal finance blogging that I hadn't seen was this per, this perspective of someone who is single and making it. And also, um, at least in the blogs that I read, it seems to be disproportionately that women tend to be from the pers- writing from the perspective of struggling with money and men are disproportionately writing from the perspective of being wealthy and being good with money. And that's really not what my experience has been in, in real life. Um, there are a lot of female lawyers that I know who are doing really well, uh, single or married and who are breadwinners who are equal partners and, I didn't want to fall into this mindset of just reading things and thinking, oh, well, I'm a woman, so I guess I can't be good with money or I should be struggling or I need to marry rich in order to get my finances in order. Yeah, it is like an old school idea that the man is the one who makes the money and is good with the money. And then like the little woman goes out and like gets her nails done and doesn't do anything all day. That is like a very old thing that I think sometimes we still subconsciously think that way yeah no definitely and i think a lot of men as well they are are afraid to be vulnerable you know like they want to be seen as the breadwinner and they want to show that they're the ones that you know know what they're doing and what they say is correct and and meanwhile just like you said there are tons of guys that have got no idea what they're doing and they're carrying these massive balances on their credit cards and you know like I, i think you're very right like the, the perception of how things really are, are not, isn't necessarily translated from online. Yeah, I think that's a really perceptive point that maybe the reason that it's so skewed this way is that men can't be vulnerable. So if they are struggling with money, they won't be, they won't have a blog and women can write this perspective. And for whatever reason, the women who are doing well with money don't seem to be 
as noticed perhaps, or as vocal as, or as, as successful yet in the blogging world. Um, or maybe they just get more, or, or maybe it's the women who are struggling tend to do better. Maybe they're just better at marketing or writing or something. Who knows? Um, it could be, it could be many things, but I didn't want to distort my own perspective of, of these things because my parents were very, very equal in terms of their jobs and their careers. And I kind of expected, I expected everything to be like this. I was, I was very naive. <laughs> we, we all are when we're young. Yes. It's the cold, harsh, brutal reality that brings us back down to, to regular life. Exactly. Um, so I loved your whole um, student loan payoff story. So real quick, can you tell our listeners about it a little bit? Sure. Um, I should premise this by saying my student loan payoff story, it's, it's an impressive headline, but it's an incredibly boring story. Um, I graduated law school. Well, my parents paid for my college. And I graduated law school with $112,000 of debt. 92,000 was law school debt and 20,000 was credit card debt that I'd put on 0% cards for living expenses. And the reason that it was actually that low was because I had worked in between college and law school and had paid off the difference because when I went to law school, it was something like 42,000 a year just for tuition. And I went to a slightly cheaper law school, um, which is insane. So, I paid it off $112,000 in 18 months. And there really aren't any tricks to my story. Um, I make a pretty normal lawyer salary in DC, which meant that I could pay it off in 18 months and live a non-extravagant lifestyle, but not a have to live at home and eat ramen kind of lifestyle. It was a very middle-class lifestyle. It was something that I really wanted to do. I did not like being in debt. I wanted to pay it off. And at first I took a really extreme take on it. And for the first few months, I did not buy anything at all. Um, there was no furniture in my apartment. I didn't eat lunch if I forgot it at home. And after a few months of this, and because I was working so much, um, sometimes dinner would be provided for it and stuff like that. But um, I was pretty miserable. I was spending all my time working. I would come home to this apartment without any furniture. And I realized it doesn't really matter um, that much. I can still do all these things and push off the debt payoff by a few months and I'll live. And it's more important to have some sort of lifestyle because I don't know um, if I'll make it in 18 months. You know, things could change. Um, I could get ill or I could lose my job and it, it wasn't worth the amount of sacrifices that I did. So uh, I paid it off at 18 months and I lived, the first four months were insane and terrible. And then I went back to being normal and then just paid the rest of it off using my entire bonus and um, living much the same way I did in law school. It's definitely a little bit challenging throwing your whole bonus into a student loan payment. <laughs> yes. Like kind of looking at that and thinking, you know, I've worked so hard for this money and now it's just going towards my debts. You know, I think a lot of people fall into the trap of... Oh, treat yourself? Yeah, like I, I should treat myself. And the other thing is, I think at the end of the day, it's all about balance. You know, like as long as you feel that you're being fair to yourself and 
if you have a goal to pay off the debt, you will start prioritizing that over everything else, you know, and you sort of have to figure out what you want from life. Are you the type of person that wants to go out and buy an expensive car with that bonus and deal with the consequences of paying thousands of dollars of interest? Or do you want to get ahead and, you know, try to be a bit more modest and pay off debts um, as, as young as possible? And like, obviously the financially sound decision would be to pay off the debt. But I think a lot of people really struggle with that sense of entitlement. I think I can understand that. Um, for me, it didn't seem like that much of a struggle. I guess I was just used to it um, when I was on my entry level salary, which was about 44000 a year. I maxed out my 401k and I thought, oh, I could I could do this. It's not it's not too bad. Um, so I was pretty used to a bare bones lifestyle. And I think what I've learned is that if you are happy with very little, you will be happy with very much. And if you are not happy with very little, then you really have no idea what will happen with very much. It seems like you probably won't be happy either. Right. And I loved how in your blog, you said something like, well, of course you were able to pay back your student loan debt because you're making so much money and everything because people have those kind of like notions like, oh, you're a lawyer, you're making so much money and paying back the debt for you is no big deal. But paying back the debt for me because I'm not making as much as a lawyer, it's somehow a bigger deal. And I like how you kind of like um, you talked about that in your blog and you said, well, you shouldn't have $150,000 in student loan debt and then come out with a job where you're not really making any money. Like it shouldn't work out that way. Yes, I think I see a lot of these. I paid off huge amounts of money payoff stories and the comment sections will be really upset that the person has a high income. And I think that's exactly the stories that we should hear. If we have a lot of stories that are, I graduated $300,000 in debt and I make 20,000 a year. That's a tragedy. That's a bad thing. We should not hear stories like that because something has failed. Something really big has failed. And there's almost, there's no way to, to cover that except to make a lot of money. Right, exactly. Great. So you have a post on your site about retiring early on a low income. Let's chat a little bit about that post. What was your inspiration for us and what's it really about? Well, I have, I think the personal finance blogosphere is so funny and it's, it's because there's so many different perspectives. And I had read one that I just thought was a little bit odd. It just seemed to be coming from a very wealthy out-of-touch perspective um, where they would say, oh, you can totally retire early on this income. And then they made a budget and it really didn't include any of the things that normal people need, like health insurance or <laughs> food or, you know, there, or uh, the numbers would be just ridiculously low. So it's as if they took a normal or average salary they just halved all the numbers and cut out some of the other categories and said, okay, there you go. And that's just not realistic. That's doesn't make any sense to do it that way. And I think it can be helpful to, uh, and I think some of the personal finance blogs here has noted that there might not be as much representation from lower income classes and wants to have articles that 
can be useful to people with lower incomes, but it can be problematic if that advice is coming from people who really have no idea what it's like to be lower income. And I will admit, I don't really have any advice on that. Um, the only thing I, I know is that when I was an entry-level salary, I, um, I maxed out my 401k. So that meant that my taxable salary was something like 20000 Um and then my after-tax salary was probably, I don't know, 18000 whatever that was. Um, and I lived I lived in this area. This was 10 years ago, though, so it's I, I understand that all these numbers are a little bit dated, and I didn't have any debt, and I didn't have any dependents. And so it's limited in that way. And, I, and it also, all of my stories where I was making less money or when I was paying off debt, I knew in my mind that this would be a limited time and that gives you so much power to think, oh, I can do this for a year and then I can stop. And that is a huge superpower for paying off debt that people who are in low incomes don't have. So I want to straddle the line with, I understand that it's, it would be difficult for me, someone who makes a very high salary, to, to say that to someone who's low income. And I don't understand all the pitfalls I do mentor someone who is low income and I'm, I'm still trying to learn things and I want to broaden my perspective on these things. So I don't want to be glib and say, anyone can do this. It's super easy. It's not easy, but I also don't want to say that it's impossible because I think there's the best thing about personal finance is the inspiration. It's the can do attitudes, the positive. If you're saving $5 a month, it's, it's great because you're developing the habits and you're improving and it will build on itself. And I think most of the people who are successful in finance, they've built these habits of saving even when they made little money. And that has been invaluable to them in the long run. So I think you can retire early on a low salary. Um, but perhaps I would like to encourage people who, who've actually maintained a low income to do it. And I think some of the comments on that blog were very positive and they were often from people who had low incomes and who did manage to achieve some sort of financial independence. So it was very, it was gratifying. It was very inspirational to see those people talk. I can really relate to what you're talking about sort of in a way that, so when I graduated from college, I grew up in a single family or a single income single parent family. And when I graduated, I graduated with my teaching degree and I love my brother to death. But literally every time I looked at my brother, he was either getting a pay raise or a bonus. Mm -hmm. And he was um, like a CPA and made a ton of money. And I was like really bummed. I told my mom, I was like, maybe I should have like gone to school and done done like accounting or something, even though I didn't really like it as much because it pays better. And my mom told me that it doesn't really matter how much money you make. It is how much money you save because my brother didn't do this, but if he did turn around and spent every dollar that he got and didn't save anything, then ultimately all the money that he made was kind of like a waste where mm -hmm. if I would, save all my money as a teacher, then in the long run, I made less, but I would have more money than he would. 
Yes, saving is is so important. I thought you were going to say something about sibling rivalry, which I kind of understand too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now that we're old, we were my brother's brutal growing up. He's the typical older brother, but now like he actually is coming up for work tomorrow and we're going out to dinner and I'm like super excited to see him and everything. So now that we're older, like the rivalry is kind of like gone, but when I was younger, it was definitely there like who could get more attention and who did better in school and everything. So, <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, you don't necessarily know how it's turning, it's going to turn out. And well, frugality is very important, but you also don't know what the end of your story is because when I graduated from college, um, I was an English major and my brother who was 18 months older than me, um, did it. And he was much more sought after in jobs and made more money. And for a little while it was, if, uh, and I lived with my brother when, when um, for for two years in between law school and college, and I felt like, and I guess the family also felt like he should be treating me to things, and I did not like this at all. And you know, my family would treat me to things, and I didn't like this at all. And I felt like, oh, I'll never make any money, and I'll always be the one who doesn't make any money. And it's it's very self defeating, and you know, I didn't expect a few years later, I make more money than anyone in my family does. And it's, you know, the, it, it changes, you don't know what it's going to be like. So when you feel jealous, or you think that you're kind of resigned to one role, you don't, you don't really know that it, things can change on a dime. Yeah. And as the younger sibling, my brother was five years older than I was. So I kind of, it was like everything that he was like accomplishing and and doing like I couldn't compare at all I was five years younger like he was graduating from yourself yeah he was graduating from like graduate school and I was like in the middle of taking the SAT like there's no comparison and then the day came where like I graduated from college too and like he was so happy for me that I was like, man, when he does great things, maybe I should be a little bit more excitable for him. Like, <laughs> instead of just like, oh, there you are doing great things again. And like when I bought my house, he went to the closing with me to make sure that like I didn't get scammed or they didn't like throw in some kind of weird numbers for me and everything. And it was like as we got older, older, the rivalry just like lessened. And now it's like, OK, like we're both people. And like if you need help, I'll help you. And it just goes back and forth like that now. That's a really great story. Yeah. I mean, we don't talk super often, but I know like if I need like a kidney or something, he'll give it, oh, okay. he'll give it to me. Yeah. So, or you, or you like to think so. Yeah. Well, actually I'm, I'm the universal donor, so I'd probably have to give it to him. Shouldn't say that so loudly. <laughs> So anyway, well, going, if you could go back in time, back to like when you're in law school or when you're getting your undergrad degree, is there anything that you would have done differently? I don't know if I would have done anything differently. Um, I think, I think lawyers always tell people not to go to law school and it's not because you do, you all say that. Yes, that's totally true. I feel that it's in our playbook. Um, and it's not because I just like being a lawyer, but I had heard this, this factoid and I believe it to be true is that people 
are generally, people are generally average. So if most of the people in this career don't like it, you probably won't like it too. And if most people like their career, you will also probably like it. You shouldn't just imagine that you are some totally different person than everyone else and will do things completely differently. So I, I'm a, I like my career. I like my job. Um, but I know a lot of people who really don't, who really, really hate it and who, and that's unfortunate. I know people who they, you know, moved their families across the country, attended law school, got into big debt and quit their jobs within three months um, because they hated it and they just left and totally left the career, not even got another job. And although there's a lot of uh, stereotypes about lawyers being terrible people, we don't want that to happen to other people. We, we want people to be happy and a lot of lawyers aren't happy and we don't want that to happen to other people. If I was giving my younger self advice, I think it would be something like be kinder to yourself, which I think is something that is kind of prone for women to kind of beat themselves up about things, but it's not true for any type of high achiever, um, especially for Asians. <laughs> I think I just recently learned about just monitoring the things that I would say to myself. And I thought I had pretty good self-esteem and I thought I was pretty, pretty happy with myself. Um, but when things go wrong, there's this inner dialogue that just says a lot of terrible things that aren't true, that aren't, have no basis in reality. And it, it warps your perception of yourself and it makes it, makes everything more stressful and you don't need to do that to yourself. It makes everything more difficult and things you're probably doing fine. Um, and people need to, to say that I definitely needed that. Um, when I was younger to just, you're doing fine. If someone had told me you're doing fine, stop listening to the voices in your head. It probably would have made a big difference in my overall health. I think that is excellent advice because usually the people who like when you're kind of mentally beating yourself up, the people who are telling you that you're doing fine are like kind of the people that are obligated to tell you you're doing okay. Like your mom and your dad and like family members but there's never really like a person who doesn't really worry about hurting your feelings to be like, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Let it go. And it's hard to teach yourself to not like punch yourself mentally or yeah. emotionally. The voices in your head are telling you that the people who love you are just saying those things too. Right? right. The, that <laughs> inner conscience. Terrible. <laughs> Just sabotaging you on every end. And no one can help you until you stop listening to the inner voices. Definitely. Chainers, we're just going to take a quick break and then we'll dive right back into the value link round. Chainers, if you're looking for ways to make additional money and you've kind of been thinking about Airbnb, head over to hostingyourpad.com. Katie's created a fantastic course all about hosting on Airbnb, how to monetize your home and how to get the best occupancy. So head over to hostingyourpad.com to learn more. Okay, Lisa. So why do you think people struggle to achieve their dreams? This is such a great question. And I know everyone who you interview says that. Um, <laughs> That's why we keep it. <laughs> I'm always interested to know what other people think. I think there, there are multiple things and that kept me from achieving things that I wanted to do. 
One of them was, I don't think I actually knew what I wanted to do. And two, I didn't think I was capable of completing it. And three, I never really made any efforts to complete any of these things. So I think in order to complete the things that you want to do, you have to actually determine what you want to do and tell yourself, hey, I'm going to do this. Uh, This can be done. And then do just a little bit on it every single day. And I think that consistency is what has made all the difference in things that I've been able to accomplish. Do you have any other books or podcasts you could recommend to our listeners? Oh, so many. Um, I'm such an avid book reader. What I'm reading right now is called Thanks for the Feedback. And this, this would have changed my life if I had read it so many years ago. It's so interesting because it's not just about performance reviews, but it's about how we react to any kind of talk or discussion about ourselves. Um, And it's about understanding what people mean when they're saying things to you and when you ask for feedback. So I think it talks about um, there are three kinds of feedback and I'm not going to remember all of them, but um, like coaching and evaluation um, in terms of where you stand among different people and compliments and feedback will fall into one of these categories. And one person will say feedback and mean one of these things. And often the other person will interpret it a totally different way. And so you never really hear what the other person is saying. And so neither side grows and both sides end up resenting each other. Um, So I think it's a really good, it's a really good book about communication Um, for podcasts. I, I obviously listen to Chain of Wealth. <laughs> of course. Of course. And I listen to the Fire Drill podcast and um, and the Art of Manliness, which I know is a little bit strange because I'm not a man, but there is no feminine counterpart. And he basically interviews authors and other um, thinkers about usually their research and their books. Okay. And do you have a favorite quote? I do. Um, I don't, I don't remember it exactly, but you can paraphrase. That's okay. And I I actually (laughs) haven't read the book. I just heard this quote, but it's from Benjamin me. And he wrote the the book. We bought a zoo and it's something. Isn't that a child's book? I don't know. I have no idea what this book is. It was into a movie. I feel like as a teacher, I should know this. But anyway, continue. <laughs> and it's a movie Matt Damon stars in it, but I don't actually. <laughs> um, but he says something like, all you need sometimes is 20 seconds of intense bravery or courage and something amazing will happen. And that's, I usually say some version of this to myself when I'm trying something new, right before I enter the door. And I think, oh, I really don't want to go. Or it's going to go really badly. Um, I think, you just need 20 seconds. And for me, this is, this is just my life story. When I think debt payoff, okay, I'll do this and just for 18 months, or I can try this and I'll do it for a month or I'll try this thing. I just need to be brave for 20 seconds. And then, you know, I'm already, I'm already on the way there. So that's something I, I say to myself quite often to get me to do things. It's like leave the house. It's amazing how, um, like, that's basically all you need. You know, you need that little sense of I can do this. And 
if you just put your mind to what you're trying to achieve, like that's half the battle one. Mm-hmm. And yeah. not quitting. Like usually at the point where I want to quit is when I think to myself, no, like you will get it. And then usually after I like have that like mental pep talk, I figure it out or I get it done or whatever I'm doing, I achieve the task. And it's like, oh, thank goodness I didn't. I didn't bail out because then I would have just had to come back and do it again anyway. Yeah. I think we try to make these huge mountains in, of what we do. And sometimes we just need, oh, 20 seconds, just get started. And it's less than 20 seconds. It's usually five seconds. And then you think, this is not too bad. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, we've absolutely loved hanging out today. Do you have any other last advice for our listeners? And then we'll say goodbye. Oh, last advice. Um, I think what... The thing I'm working on in 2018, and this is, sounds so cheesy, um, but it's it's self-love. And it's a little bit different than self-care, which is, I think, taking care of your body. But it goes into not saying mean things to yourself and kind of accepting yourself for what you are. And I think once people do this, things like managing your money or figuring out what you're going to do with your life, it becomes a lot less stressful. Or so, you know, I haven't actually done it yet, but I assume that when I get this self-love, that's what will happen. Chainers, we've been hanging out with Lisa from the blog, The Give and Get. You can check out her website at thegiveandget.com and think about starting your own personal finance blog to document your journey. All it takes is 20 seconds of courage and you can get it done. We've enjoyed hanging out today, so catch you on the flip side. <laughs>